0: 720 WGN. I'm John Landecker. Veterans Day, November 11th. Here's the timeline starting November 11th, 1918. Armistice, ending World War I, begins at 11 a.m. In 1919, President Woodrow Wilson proclaims November 11th as Armistice Day. November 11th, 1921, the first unknown soldier is reburied at Arlington National Cemetery. The tomb has the words inscribed, Here rests in honored glory an American soldier known but to God. May 13, 1938. Armistice Day becomes a federal holiday. June 1, 1954. President Dwight Eisenhower signs a bill changing Armistice Day to Veterans Day in order to include all U.S. veterans. May 30, 1958. Unknown soldiers from World War II and the Korean War are reburied next to the unknown soldier from World War I. 1968. Congress changes the date of Veterans Day to the fourth Monday in October in order to give federal employees a three-day weekend. The change begins in 1971. September 25, 1975. President Gerald Ford changes the date of Veterans Day back to November eleventh. The change begins in 1978. May 28, 1984, an unknown soldier from the Vietnam War is reburied in Arlington National Cemetery. In 1998, he is identified through DNA tests as Michael Blassie, a 24-year-old pilot shot down in 1972 on the border of Cambodia. Henry Langraer served in Europe in World War II with the 82nd Airborne Division, He is the recipient of Two Bronze Stars, Two Purple Hearts, and the French Legion of Honor. Author of Whatever It Took, an American paratrooper's extraordinary memoir of escape, survival, and heroism in the last days of World War II. The true story of an American paratrooper who survived D-Day, captured and imprisoned in a Nazi word camp, and a daring escape to freedom. And Henry is with us now. Thank you for joining us, Henry. And first of all, needless to say... Thank you for your service.
1: Well, thank you. Thank you very much.
0: You know, not to make any more of this than it is, but you are 98 years old. You are obviously able to relate to us your story. And I think, you know, I was researching your history and some of the things Mm -hmm. that you made reference to. And there was a point where I believe you're at Auschwitz as a German POW, yep. and you see the Germans stack up these bodies just in front of you, naked, women, children, no clothes, no nothing, shaved, dead, body after yep. body after body. And you said, I believe, I'm paraphrasing, you know, if they covered it all up, nobody would ever believe it because no one would have seen it. And, you know, if no one was around to tell the story that you tell, nobody would believe it either. At least that's my opinion. And I, mm-hmm. think, that's, I think that's one of the great Services to mankind that you provide is that you, even at 98, you are blessed with the ability to recall and tell the story to people who may not believe that any of this happened, or maybe they think ah, part of it happened. But those stories that I hear, they're so horrible that could not possibly have happened. But yet, your eyewitness account proves that it does. And I think that's unbelievably important. Can we start at the beginning when you drop out of high school and decide to enroll as a paratrooper or just enroll? No, as a paratrooper. You were able to, at what, you were 16 at the time? No, I, was, uh, I wasn't
1: I was quite 18. Oh,
0: 18. And you could make yeah. the decision at the time in enrollment into the armed services that you could specifically be a paratrooper? Yes,
1: they wanted young men.
0: Well, yeah, that's an understatement. Um, <laughs> what was about the paratrooper uh, service where, you know, it's one thing to be on the ground and you're in the Army and you're in the infantry, but it's another thing to be up in an airplane and jumping out with a parachute that is not anything like the parachutes that we've seen today. What, that's right. What, what was it that attracted you to that particular branch of the service? Just the thrill, yeah. of, ju- thrill of jumping out of an airplane?
1: Yes. No, you know, uh, we came out of the Great Depression. Yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, money meant a lot to us. So the paratrooper paid $50 a month more uh, <laughs> than the services. And uh, we got jump pay for $50 yeah. more. Yeah. So uh, that's the reason I did it. But, of course, out of patriotism, too. Of course. Out of yeah. my class. Out of my class. In high school, uh, about 40% of the boys all had enlisted in various branches of service.
0: Mm -hmm. You say that you were a child of the Depression, and needless to say, many of the people who enrolled in the armed services in World War II also went through that era of American history. Is there something about going through that that you think motivated you to enlist? Because, you know, as we look back, for those of us who didn't, go through the Depression. It seems like, a obviously, a very trying time for everybody. And yes. then to turn that around and say, I'm going to fight for my country, is there something about going through the Depression that motivates yes. that, that decision?
1: Yes, there was. Uh, I think God prepared America for World War II mm-hmm. with the Depression. We had learned to do without, yes. and of course, right. war came along, and our civilian uh population suffered as much as the soldiers did. I mean, they they had rationing things. We couldn't buy things. right? And that, but it, that's probably more or less part of the reason, too. Uh, like I said, money meant quite a bit to us because we didn't have any.
0: <laughs> yes. And I understand, too, you were saving up so that you could come back and marry your sweetheart.
1: Yes. <laughs> We've been married 77 years. She's still with me. And I'm very proud of her. She was one of the uh, people that pr- provided all the armaments, Rosie the Riveter, oh, yeah. for all all of the battlefields and East and West. Uh, we fought Pacific, and we fought Atlantic, and we supplied our allies, uh, England and and uh, Russia. So you know, uh, they never ever got enough credit. I think uh, they. Totally forgot about that, those people. And I was the first witness to that during the invasion, uh, the material that they supplied us. Mm-hmm. We had everything we needed. It was up to us to do the rest of it.
0: So let's get to that point where you've enlisted, you've gone through the training that's necessary, and now it's time to actually jump out of an airplane and join World War II. What was that like?
1: Well, we came over uh, Cherbourg, and we took a lot of flack. Uh, I seen uh, several planes down. One exploded, had a shell burst off our wingtip, and a shrapnel came through our plane and killed one man on one side of me and one on the opposite side. And we was anxious to get out, period. Absolutely.
0: What was there hand-to-hand combat once you got onto the ground? Uh...
1: It was mostly close combat, yes. Of course, with us, it was always close combat. Right. It was always within shooting distance of the enemy.
0: Uh, I also heard that, you know, when we see, like in Chicago, there's the Air and Water Show, which happens every year, and uh, paratroopers jump out of airplanes with these gigantic billowing parachutes, and they float <laughs> gently, gently to the ground. That's yeah. not what you had, was
1: it? No, no. We had a T-5 shoot, but well, it was... Uh, uh, total circumference was about eighteen to twenty feet, and it dropped you real quick because we had heavy loads. I had uh, the, the gear around me alone was probably close to a hundred pounds. Wow! I had a, a demolition pack tied to my ankle when I went out. And that was another twenty pounds. Just about jerk your leg off. Yeah. But anyway, we had a lot of a lot of stuff because you survived what you had. If you took cigarettes and didn't take ammunition, you might run short. <laughs> and the ammunition's the short thing. <laughs> well, and, the government was, was good getting me a cigarette.
0: And they dropped you from 800 feet?
1: Uh, Yeah, anywhere from a 1,000 to 800 feet. You go down real fast. The idea yes. is to get down fast.
0: <laughs> and I know that when we see people jump today, they can land on their feet but you could not,
1: could you? <laughs> right? No, you land like a sack of potatoes. <laughs> <laughs> You're lucky you didn't get hurt.
0: <laughs> Indeed. So yeah, the first thing that happens after you land,
1: then what? I went through a greenhouse, uh, and, uh, and and my leg pack, fortunately enough, uh, broke a hole through the greenhouse for me. Otherwise, mm-hmm. I'd been cut up pretty bad, and. Uh, there was fighting going on around the church and uh, in the street there, so I had to cut my demolition bag off and get rid of some of my gear to get in the battle because my job was to go down and destroy a bridge if we couldn't hold it. Right. So, but the fighting was yeah, pretty 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 rough. My friend John Steele hung from the church steeple; he got a bad jump and one boy's lit in, a, in a, a fire in a building, and uh, yeah, it was just bad.
0: How long was it before you were captured?
1: I was captured June uh, 29th.
0: And what was the situation that you were in at the time of the capture? Where were you? What, was, uh, what kind of fighting was going on? What led to the capture? Uh, th-
1: well, it was hedgerow hedge fighting, which is like kind of like jungle fighting. Mm-hmm. Uh, we was had pushed the Germans back pretty much, and uh, they were of course they always counterattacked, and they counterattacked and they counterattacked with some several tanks, and uh, our bazooka man. I turned it around to see if I could find him. And yeah, he was there all right, but he had been shot mm-hmm. and he was down. But he had the bazooka, and I was going to get the bazooka. But the tank had overrun our position, and the one tank aimed—I thought he aimed right at me with that big gun—and but he was firing at something behind me, and the shell lit behind me, and uh, I didn't know anything till I ended up in the hospital. In France,
0: behind enemy lines, this is a German hospital.
1: Yeah, yeah, a German hospital, right?
0: And right. how how did the Germans treat you as an American POW?
1: Uh, they had very much respect for us, really. And they, yeah, oh yes, and the German doctor that I operated on me came in later, and he said, "You know, we never realized Americans would fight like you guys fight." And he said. Uh, I uh, took as much shrapnel out of your legs and back as I could, but some is lodged in your spine, and uh, it would do more damage probably to try to take it out than to leave it in. So he said we left it in. And uh make a long story short, they did take it out finally uh, in an in, in American hospital after the war. Let me get this
0: straight. You are captured by... The Germans, they take you, right. into a, they take you into the hospital,
1: they yes, give the French you hospital. Yeah, the
0: French hospital, they give you all the first aid that they're able to at the time, and then they take you to a work camp. Is this somehow, uh, yeah. some, that sounds almost like I'm not quite sure what the word is I'm looking for that or maybe they wanted to mend you so they could work you. I'm not quite sure what the logic is there.
1: No, I don't either. Uh, but they treated us in the hospital real well. And the yeah. French people, especially, that were orderlies and that there, no. But when we went out, uh, they loaded us in cattle cars, they called them 40 and 8s. Yes. And it and, uh, was so overloaded that actually you couldn't sit down. You stand, and then a friend would uh, sit down, and so on. But. And food and water in the trip was almost negligible. And, well, I just felt like they'd try to kill you on the train or they're going to work you to death in the camp, which was the way it was.
0: When you got to the camp, what kind of work did they give you?
1: I worked a quarter of a mile under the ground in a coal mine.
0: Wow. And how long did that go on?
1: Uh, I worked... Uh, you know time just slipped by i didn't true, it true. Didn't, didn't know. Right. but uh but I say i was probably maybe maybe 2 3 months underground
0: and then is there another transfer on a train to auschwitz uh,
1: yes that's right uh we went to camp 12a which was a camp where they bought the prisoners and then divided them up and sent them out onto these work camps or farms or whatever it was. Yeah. And uh, But the mines were the worst place because they actually wanted to work people to death there. Right.
0: And you did, I believe, witness what many of us have seen in documentaries and also dramatic retellings of the treatment of prisoners in Auschwitz that train loads of people would come in, they'd be separated by gender, sex, and then the next time you'd see them, they'd be naked, shaved, and dead, whether they were men, women, or children.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I didn't see it, but I could hear the dogs when they took them off the train. They had dogs kind of walking and keep people in line and that, you know. And And uh, I could hear... We could see and smell the smoke, you know, out of the stacks. And anybody that ever, ever, ever said it didn't happen is totally misinformed or don't want to realize it. But how the humanity can be so depraved that they would do things like that.
0: And they stacked the bodies next to the fence where you were?
1: Yes. Well, where they... They couldn't do them all at one time. Oh, the God. furnaces wouldn't take all of them, Ugh. so uh, they had to sack them up someplace. And they stacked them by our fence, and uh, then they would come out and get on you know, little carts, pick them up, and and bring them back in as as the bodies were burned.
0: How did you mentally handle all of that?
1: Well, you know, you're young and you've been toughened up so much. You know, it it, it was just totally against us. And we all felt, because our uh, compounds, well, we might have got ahead of ourselves just a little bit. Uh, The air raid was in in the town of Auschwitz where they had chemical plants. Mm -hmm. And in, in the process of the bombers bombing that, the fighter planes come down and shot up the trains in the yard there. Well, they shot up our train and stopped just behind the car behind us. And uh, the estimate, what some of the guys were saying, was probably they might have killed about 100 prisoners of war. And then they built a compound out of barbed wire around us against the fence at Auschwitz, and that's where we saw them stacking the bodies. Wow.
0: Let's get to how you get the hell out of there, if you don't mind my language. (laughs)
1: Yeah. Uh-huh. How'd you escape? Uh, Well, uh, another friend of mine was a paratrooper who had been wounded and captured, and he was working in the mine with me there. And uh, uh, usually on the way back, we might talk a little bit. You couldn't talk too much because the guards were there, and they wouldn't allow it. But they, we would talk a little bit, and he says, Henry he says, we they're going to work us to death here. So uh, we've either got to have some kind of a plan to get away, or we're going to die in the mines. <clears throat> but before before that, when we first came to that camp, it was kind of a, a a big. It must have been a factory or something turned into a POW camp. Big big, big brick buildings. Anyway, the commandant called us out, and we were all standing out there, attention and. And he gave a little speech, and he said, if you try to escape from this camp, you'll be caught, and you'll be shot. Mm-hmm. And that happened twice while we were there, that they shot people. They called us out, lined us up, and they shot the people, put them in coffins, or wooden boxes, I should say. And uh, had us all walk by him and said, this is, and he said, this is what's going to happen to anybody that escapes. Well, you know, it was either dying in the mines or trying to escape, get shot. Mm-hmm. But it, we decided we try to escape. And how was that accomplished? Well, it was a cold, rainy night. And we was marching from the mines to the camp, which was about, eh, maybe a mile and a half, two miles. Anyway, uh, it was raining pretty good, and it was a cold rain. It was early in the spring-like, and uh, we passed some undercover, and Mac Mellon says to me, let's go. So we did. We took off in the underbrush. And I heard somebody say behind us, "Good luck," and uh, we were off and going.
0: So there was no premeditation. This was a spontaneous move.
1: Yes, it was. Well, we had planned it uh, to escape when yeah. uh, we had the opportunity. And that time, we, right? I, I I skipped ahead a little bit. Uh, we had the opportunity. Well, that time usually you had. Two guards in the front, two guards in the back, and two guards in the middle. Well, the two guards in the middle, for some reason or other, weren't there. So that gave us the opportunity to escape. Otherwise, they pretty well watched you all the time. It was an SS camp, and they're miserable people. And uh, I don't have to tell you that they treat you really bad. They really treat you bad.
0: Yeah. You know, you're not, obviously, since this, you're being treated the way you were in the camp. You're not being nutritionally fed. I can't believe that you're at your epitome of strength. And so now you've suddenly jumped into no, no man's land, into the brush, escaping from the, from the camp. uh, Yeah. Not in, not in the best physical shape. What happens then? How long were you in no man's land, for lack of a better term, until you came upon an American force? Probably, or?
1: Yeah, probably uh, a better part of two weeks. Wow. And a lot happened in that two weeks. I ate it. Is not time enough to say here. But uh, yes, I did get back to the American troops. Uh, Today the, the that the American... I uh, had traveled to quite a bit uh, ways. I had... Uh, Learned to follow the stars uh, to uh, go in the direction I wanted to right. go and i wanted to go right. I wanted to go west where the American troops were. I didn't want to go back into Germany of course not. so yeah, so anyway uh, i there was a uh, a lot of shelling going on uh American shellings and i seen. Uh, the American... Well, first of all, down the road came... I was about a... Oh, maybe... Maybe... Uh, oh, a half mile, quarter mile, something like that, away from the road. Uh, I was hiding out because I didn't want to get caught in a shellfire fire and that. And I didn't want anybody to find me. So, anyway... Uh, the American troops were shelling the area pretty good down the road. And uh, at first came the civilians trying to get away. Then come the German infantry, and then come the German tanks. And all of a sudden, I seen a Piper Cub air- aircraft, little airplane, flying above the road. And I uh, uh a spotter, and he... he he told the artillery where to go, and they just slaughtered the people on the in tanks and that on the road there and uh, after After that came the American troops, mm-hmm. and they I came upon a uh I did want to get out at first because all the guys on the front lines are trigger happy and you'd probably get shot so I came out after a while, and I seen American troops coming down the road. I waited a little while for them to pass. And uh, I came down on the road, and I met, met a guy in a Jeep. He had a radio in the Jeep. He was talking to somebody, and I tapped him on the shoulder. I think he would have about died. <laughs> <laughs> he, said, he, he said something in the language I don't know how I say now. But uh, in, in the end, he he took me back to their base, the, the headquarters, and back there they gave me a new uniform. You wouldn't believe it that that airborne uniform lasted all the way through the coal mines and and all the way through my escape. And they gave me a new one. I should have kept the old one for a souvenir. <laughs> Well, uh, needless and to then say, flew, I'm sorry, go ahead. And then they flew me back to Camp Lucky, Strike where I was for a while. And uh, we were, of course, hungry. Well, during my escape, which uh, I had to do a lot of things to get food. And mm. I don't really, you know, want to say right. what I had to do, you know. I understand. But when I escaped, I did have the pistol and the ammunition from the man I killed that shot my friend in the barn. Wow. Wow. When we escaped. Yeah. We got ahead of ourselves just a little bit. We missed that part.
0: (laughs) Oh, you got to it now. That's okay.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, when we escaped, we didn't realize there was a, Village close by, and the Volkstrom, who were the guys that uh, uh, did police work and that they were people that were injured in the service or whatever anyway, they were the policemen in the area, and there was a barn there, and we both ran to the barn, and the guy so halt, and we knew we was drawn as if we stopped, so we had in this barn. And And, uh, but right after we got into the barn, I kept behind the door. I mean, my friend was in the middle of the room trying to find a place to hide. And this guy, a soldier came in and he shot my friend and killed him. And I had a two before that they used to put in the the door. They had two angles on, you know, they slipped the two before into lock the door. Well mm-hmm. so that two before was behind the door and I hit the guy across the mouth with a gu- two before and killed him and took his, his gun and ammunition and took off because the dogs are starting to bark. Wow. It's there's a lot more to it. It's just that's tidbits. <laughs>
0: well, it certainly is enough for us to get a small glimpse into the peril that you put yourself in the service of your country. Henry first Again, Henry, I want to say thank you so much for the service that you have provided to our freedoms. Um, I want to remind folks that Henry has a book, Whatever It Took, An American Paratrooper's Extraordinary Memoir of Escape, Survival, and Heroism in the Last Days of World War II, which you can obviously tell. um, It's quite a story. And what we've done here in the brief time that we've been talking only touches the surface. And I also want to direct folks to a website www.ww2online.org backslash view Henry dash L A N G R E H R and it's an hour and 44 yes. minutes that you will not believe. Henry, thank you so much for being with us and all the best to you and your Rosie the Riveter wife.
1: Yes, yeah, thank you so much. I appreciate this opportunity. You thank bet. Thank you. Thank you. you bet. Goodbye. Bye-bye. God bless you. God bless you too, Henry. Thanks.